If you have your Bibles and want to follow along this morning, I'm reading from the 11th chapter of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 11, beginning with the 19th verse, and one of the great uh, uh, descriptions of, of, of God working in the ancient world. Acts chapter 11, verse, beginning with verse 19, follow along with me as I read. Now those who had been scattered by persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks or Gentiles also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Verse 22 says, news of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem. And so they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He being Barnabas, verse 24, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. And then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Our Father, I pray you would add your blessing to the reading of Scripture today. Give us ears to hear what you have for us and a heart to understand. For the next few moments, Lord, help us as we seek to concentrate on you. And now guide us in this part of our service, we ask in your name. Amen. What can, what can God do through an individual life? What can God do through one person? You ever think about that? What can God do through you? I'm only one person in a big society that seems to be moving away from God. What can God do through me? I, I'm only one person at school. I don't think I went to a public school with anyone that was a member of the Church of the Nazarene. I felt like I was in an island all alone. I didn't have a grasp of the Christians that were in school, but I often wondered, what in the world kind of a change can I make with my life? What can God do through me? What can God do through you? Well, the answer is simply this, anything God wants to do, He can do through any of us. For us and God equal a majority. God in anything is a majority, and sometimes I think we don't embrace the significance of who we are in Christ and what He wants to do in our lives and through our lives to touch others around us. And sometimes we get so caught up in our stuff that we fail to realize that if we are faithful to God, if we simply live a life that reflects Christ, if we live in such a way that we tell our story about what God has done for us, that God is able to do significant things through our life. God is always up to something, and God is always doing more than we can grasp Him to be doing. And God can do that through a life just like he can do it through great multitudes of people. Well, we've read an interesting little freight, little passage of Scripture in the 11th chapter of, uh, of Acts. We don't fully grasp the significance of it at first reading, but, but some commentators and biblical scholars say that this is the second most uh, important event that happened since the resurrection of Jesus. The first being the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came and empowered a group of wayward disciples with, with power and strength and, and a message that they had never experienced before. And you know the story of Peter preached that day and 3,000 people wanted to join the church and, and the church was off, but, off and running. But it was in Jerusalem and it was to the Jewish world. Jesus had told them previously 
that they were to go to Jerusalem and wait until the gift of the Father, the power, on high, the power from high on high that would come upon them. And when, they, when that power did, they would be His witnesses in Jerusalem, all of Judea and Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. I want to tell you, speaking for the disciples, I don't think they could fit all that in their minds. Uh, they understood what Jesus said and they heard what He said, but how in the world did they think they could accomplish that? They failed to realize that the accomplishment wasn't, on, uh, wasn't theirs to do. The accomplishment was God's to accomplish. He just seek to work through them. But in the 11th chapter of Acts, something changes. And, and persecution had broke out in Jerusalem. And while they had enjoyed great successes as the early church started, and while they were healing people and miracles were taking place, even in the Jewish synagogues, persecution broke out against these Christians. And we know the story of how uh, when the disciples uh, uh, selected a group of men to attend to the administration, administrative duties of the church, that, that Stephen was chosen, and Stephen was a man also of good faith and full of the Holy Spirit. We know that Stephen was called on to testify one time. You remember old testimony services? Anybody remember testimony services when the pastor would say, we're going we're gonna to have we're gonna hear testimonies from God's people, and we tried not to breathe or not to move or... <laughs> not to scratch our head for fear he would call on us. They had testimony time, and Stephen stood up and began to tell what God had done for him and what God had done for this world, and they got so mad at him. Before he got through, they seized him and took him out of the building and threw him down a little embankment and killed him with rocks. And it seemed to be open game, open season on the Christians, and persecution broke out, and these folks spread like wildfire. In fact, the persecutors must have thought that with, with, with they, if they persecute these Christians, they will stop the influence of God and the church in this message of a resurrected Christ, but just the opposite happened. It was persecution that caused these to flee the, the, the comfortable settings of the Jewish world and get out into the real world, and they took their testimony with them, and they told their story wherever they went. I want to remind you folks, every one of us has a story to tell, and God, is, God blesses and God works through our stories. If we would be faithful to tell people what God has done in our lives, everybody has a story to tell. Some are more dramatic than others. <clears throat> when I was in college, I was in ministerial class with a, another guy that was 18 years old, and he had told this wild story about how he had been addicted to drugs and been in jail and been arrested and, and an alcoholic and all these kind of things, and God delivered him from all that. And I used to say to him, you're only 18 years old. You had not lived long enough to do all this bad stuff. What I really meant to say was I didn't have a testimony like that. I had always been in church, but the same God that saved him had saved me. And I kind of come to realize that our testimony is not about us. It is about God. And when we tell our story, we tell what God has done in our life. It is a powerful thing. And these people fled the city of Jerusalem, these Christians telling their story. That's what Luke says to us in these verses we've read. They went to telling their story, and they went to Cyprus, and they went to Cyrene, and they began to tell their story. And then some of these people went to the city of Antioch. And Antioch is, for all purposes in this setting, Antioch is the capital of the Gentile world. And revival broke out as they as these Gentiles began to hear the message of Christ. And word comes back to the Jewish church in Jerusalem. We don't know what's going on. We, we can't hardly believe it. 
There's actually some of our people that have gone down to Antioch and they're talking and witnessing to the Gentile world. And we understand the Gentiles have accepted Christ and we don't understand it. And how in the world can it work? So they decided to send Barnabas. His, His resume is simply one sentence. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And it would be Barnabas that we saw the evidence of the grace of God, Luke says. It would be Barnabas that instead of trying to squelch this and stop it and tell these Gentiles that they don't have a right and an inheritance with God, instead of telling them that, Barnabas encouraged them because he saw the grace of God at work in their lives. And the Gentile church is born, the Gentile church for Christ is born. And in fact, the power shifts from Jerusalem to Antioch because they realized that Christ had come for those people as well. I remind you that a good Jewish person in the time of Jesus was taught that the Gentiles are bad people. A good Jewish person in the time of Jesus was taught that you don't have anything to do with Gentiles. In fact, a good Jewish person couldn't even understand why God created Gentiles. Noted Jewish historian William Barclay says the, this common sentiment was that God must have only created Gentiles so that the fires, to be fuel for the fires of hell to keep the fires burning. No Jewish person would buy anything from a Gentile or sell anything to a Gentile. It was against the law in the Jewish world to go into the home of a Gentile. In fact, a good Jewish person, Barclay says, at the time of Jesus, would get up every morning and have his morning prayer, and he would begin his prayer this way, Lord, I am so thankful I am born a Jew, not a woman, not a slave, and not a Gentile. They didn't understand the Gentile world. They didn't like the Gentile world. If it was, it was us Jews and no more, and the church, even though it was, res- it was founded on the resurrection of Christ, the church had stayed in Jerusalem, and it was all things Jewish. And now word comes to us that somebody's been witnessing down there to the Gentiles, and they have accepted Christ, and they, the church sends Barnabas. Do you ever have a feeling of being insignificant? I mean, do you ever feel like your life really doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things? Do you ever feel like your life doesn't matter in the society we live in that seems to be moving so quickly away from God? Do, do you ever think your, your life doesn't really matter in a sea of, of school students that aren't interested in God's way? A feeling of insignificance. I think Barnabas could have had that. I want to remind you this morning that it is the tool of the enemy to make us feel like we don't count. It is a tool of the enemy to make us feel like we are insignificant because if he he can make us believe that we really don't matter, we really don't count, then much of what God is able to do through our lives is thwarted. I remind you again that that any of us and God is a majority, and they sent Barnabas. And why would Barnabas have any kind of a feeling of insignificance? Because he's unlike all the men of Scripture who are doing significant things in the first ten chapters of the book of Acts. Barnabas wasn't a preacher. Barnabas wasn't one of the disciples of Jesus. There's no evidence in the Bible that Barnabas heard Jesus speak or saw him or followed him, which was so, such an important pedigree in this uh, time in history. Barnabas wasn't out starting new churches, and Barnabas wasn't, wasn't leading missionary efforts, and uh, Barnabas wasn't on the forefront of doing much of anything ministerial speaking. I remind you of what's happened thus far in the book of Acts. Chapter 1, 
Jesus gathers these disciples out on the hillside outside of Jerusalem and said, I'm about to go away, but God is going to send the power if I go, and He's going to come on you, and you're going to be witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then Jesus is ascended into heaven where He takes His place at the right hand of God, making intercession for us. Second chapter, the Holy Spirit comes, falls upon uh, that group of people in the upper room, and Peter steps out and preaches such a powerful sermon that when he gets through, 3,000 people respond to him with a cry of, what shall we do when they realized who Jesus was? And Peter's advice to them was simply this, repent and be baptized. And 3,000 people were added to the church. In chapter 3, these disciples begin to do miraculous things, right even in the Jewish synagogue headed by a crippled man at the gate begging. You remember the story. He, as, he, as Peter and John uh, go uh, uh, into the temple, the, the, the beggar hands his cup up, and Peter and John say, silver and gold we don't have, but what we do have we will gladly give you. In the name of the power of the resurrected Jesus Christ, the Son of God, stand up and walk. And he jumped up for the first time maybe ever and began to run and praise the Lord and shout his praises. It got Peter and John in trouble, and they began to go to the, to the authorities and who told them not to speak about this Christ. And they said the words that ought to be true in all of our lives. We can't help but speak about what God has done for us. And then the administration needs to become powerful, and the disciples hire or, or, or appoint seven men to administer to the food distribution. Seven men. Barnabas was not one of those seven. And then in chapter 9, the apostle Paul is converted and such a radical change of his life that he wants to change his name from Saul to Paul. It, it's big happening. Why didn't the church at Jerusalem send one of those guys to, to, to Antioch to check him out? They just sent Barnabas, a man full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Barnabas could have had an inferiority complex if he wanted to. Barnabas could have wondered if his life mattered. Barnabas could have, could have thought about all the people they could have sent, and maybe they sent Barnabas because they didn't want to give a great blessing and stamp of approval to, to, to those folks in Antioch. And Barnabas, the Bible said, saw evidence. Barnabas, the Jew, Barnabas had been taught that there's nothing good in the Gentile world. Barnabas had been taught don't have anything to do with the Gentiles. When Barnabas saw the evidence of the grace of God in their lives, he was encouraged, and he encouraged him to, to stay true, and he encouraged him to believe, and he encouraged him to stay on. And the Bible says many, many people were added uh, at, at that setting, uh, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. You see, somehow these persecuted Jewish Christians went into the city of Antioch and began to proclaim the good news of Christ's resurrection and what it can do for their lives and opened the door to the Gentile world just a little bit, just a crack. But it was Barnabas who saw what was happening there and kicked the door open, kicked the door off the hinges and said, God is in this and we must embrace this. And Somehow they must have gleaned the idea of how they'll take the message of Christ to the very ends of the earth because the Gentile world had found Christ. And Barnabas is a key to it all. Don't underestimate what God can do through you and I as we live faithfully for Him. Don't underestimate what God can do if we tell our story, if we stay true to God, if we let God so fill our lives with His Spirit and we work and live in that Spirit and be a faithful follower. What could God do through us? And the Gentile world started uh, to receive the message of Christ. And by the way, uh, for the most part, we are 
part of that Gentile world, and we are recipients of what happened in Antioch, and we are recipients of what Barnabas embraced. I'll tell you three things I believe that God did through, uh, that God put his stamp of approval on through Barnabas. First of all, when we live faithful to God, it matters. Do you know that? When you live faithful to God at school, it matters. When you live faithful to God at work, it matters. And at home, it matters. And it matters in our community, in our neighborhoods. When we live faithfully for God, it's taken me a long time to realize that God doesn't expect me to produce the result. God simply says, Larry, would you just be faithful to me and my name in your everyday life? And I'll do all the other stuff. Barnabas lived faithfully for him, and the Jews found great blessing upon these, the Gentile world in Antioch. When we're faithful to God, God blesses a person or God blesses a church that proclaims deliverance from sin. That is the work of Jesus. That's what it says that they were doing. They were telling others the good news about the Lord Jesus. The good news about Jesus is that he saves from the power of the enemy and sin itself. Do you realize today? Accepting Christ into our lives breaks the power of sin. And while the enemy has put a curse on us from the Garden of Eden, and the enemy hopes to destroy our life, and the enemy is working overtime to make sure you and I live under the curse of sin, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ verifies that the power of sin can be broken in our lives, and we can live faithfully for Him because we receive God's Holy Spirit living in us. We don't celebrate that enough in the church world today. Some of us have been saved too so long we've forgotten the, 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 the excitement of those moments, but we don't celebrate it enough. He breaks the power of canceled sin in our lives. And we can live more for God than we have to live for the enemy. We can live more like God than we, have to, than we, can, than we live like the devil. We have a hope and a future because Jesus saves even today. You want to tell your story, tell what he's done for you in the area of sin, that he's broken the power of sin in your life, and, and he's able to save to the uttermost, and no one is so bad and no sinful, so sinful that God can't break through and touch you and save you and lift you up. They must have told that to this group of people in Antioch. By the way, Antioch was a rough place. Antioch, historians say, was the third largest city in the Roman Empire second only to Rome and Alexandria. And there was a crossroads for trade that took place in, in, the, in the boundaries of the city of Antioch. The north-south route intersected with the east-west route. There were travelers by foot and by camel and by, uh, by caravan, and there were ships that would come close by. It was a great city of commerce and trade and import and export. But these folks brought their gods with them and their, uh, and their religion with them. And commentators agree that Antioch was a pretty wicked place. Immorality reigned supreme in Antioch. And the people of Antioch did what they wanted to do, when they wanted to do it, however they wanted to do it, they did everything they could get away with. They weren't interested in living a godly life. They were interested in satisfying their own desires. Commentators say that Antioch was such a wicked place that their influence went all the way to Rome. And some in the Rome city of Rome began to talk about how the leaders of Antioch lived and began to embrace lifestyles that would ultimately be their destruction. Antioch was a bad, bad place. Can you imagine what happened when somebody stood up on the street corner or somebody stood up in, in, in a place of business and began to talk about what Christ can do in our lives, how he can turn us from living for the enemy and turn us to, into people living for God 
how he can, God, a resurrected Christ can save us from going to hell and set us on a road going to heaven. The proclamation of the power of Christ must have been dramatic and powerful in the city of Antioch because it brought such a contrast of what God wants to do in our lives. And say it's that way in our world too. Sin is rampant in the world today, we know. And immorality is the order of the day. And few people seem to really have God's best interest at heart. And few people, it seems, really want to live for God. It ought to be great, great days right where we live to proclaim the hope and the message of Christ and what Christ can do in all of our lives. When we are faithful to God, we, we, we preach and teach and tell and, and are evident, bring evidence of the power of Christ over sin. He breaks the power of sin in our lives. It doesn't mean you can't sin anymore. It doesn't mean you won't ever sin anymore. It doesn't mean you can't sin anymore. It means you don't have to for the first time in your life. Sin is a deliberate violation of a law of God. First time you have power not to do those things we shouldn't do. Barnabas had to embrace the fact that even though these were Gentiles and the Gentile world that no one in the Jewish setting thought were significant, began to tell the message of what? Jesus can do the good news with the Lord Jesus. He breaks the power of sin. Folks, that ought to be our message today, and people ought to be able to see it in the life we live. If Christ died for anything, he died to overcome the works of the enemy on our lives and cursing our souls. We ought to be testimony to great testimony, uh, bring great testimony to the fact that Jesus defeats the curse of sin. Amen and amen. It's ripe in our society for that message. Not only that, but when we live faithfully for God, <clears throat> He blesses us with great grace. And a church and a people that proclaim great grace are people God can work through. When Barnabas saw evidence of the grace of God in their lives, he could only encourage it and help it. And help them to be all that they could be for God. Grace, our definition of grace is unmerited favor. Grace is a gift from God that we don't deserve. Grace is a gift from God that we have not earned. And we can't ever clean ourselves up to a point to, to, to where we are worthy of that. Grace is something we, don't, we would never be able to achieve on our own. Grace with God. A little girl one time though said these words. When asked what grace was, actually, actually, she said the definition of grace is unmerited favor. And the teacher was impressed. And the teacher called this seven-year-old up to the platform and said, what does that mean? And the little girl said, I don't have the foggiest idea. But she asked her to define grace, and the little girl said these words, grace is God at work in my life. Listen, folks, the church crowd ought to be gracious people. We ought to be givers of grace because we have received grace from God that we didn't deserve. We ought to be men and women who encourage each other in the, in, in the, in the spirit of the Lord to walk with God and stop getting hung up on all the stuff that we think people ought to do. It would have been easy for Barnabas to say to these Jewish, these Gentile Christians, oh, you want to accept Christ, that's fine, but you need to do it like we do it in the Jewish world. You need to go to the synagogue and pray. Every day, three times a day, 
You need to be circumcised. This was a big deal in the Jewish world. You, you need to do all these things to, so you can be like me. But Barnabas saw evidence of the grace of God, and he encouraged it and embraced it. So often in the church world, we pray for God to help us grow in size, and, but, but we think that God is going to help us grow with people that, just like me. I don't have a problem with that, by the way. It'd be all right if everybody was just like me. Well, it wouldn't be. It's diversity that makes us who we are, a body of Christ. But we think that people are just like us, and yet people in the world today have lived messy lives, and people who do not know Christ have, have scars and battle wounds, and can I say all kinds of scars and, and effects of not living for God. And we come to church and then kneel at our altar and we want them to get cleaned up and dressed up just like me. Sometimes the church today has been guilty of running people off because they didn't fit our mold. We, we prayed for God to send us new people, but the people he sent us weren't like us and we didn't know what to do with them. And we tried to straighten them out and we tried to tell them what to do. I grew up in a time in which there was that setting and some of the old folks in church, as soon as you'd kneel at an altar to pray, they'd begin to tell you all the things you need to stop doing. If you had makeup on, they'd say you can't wear makeup. If you had, we didn't have anybody, but we had one lady that wore lipstick one time and, and after she came to church and received the ire of those who thought that was not spiritual, she probably didn't come back anymore. We, we tend to we tend to kind of categorize people and we tell them what they ought to stop doing. I've learned a long time ago, folks, God's Holy Spirit can do a better job at that than I can. My job is to encourage them and to embrace them and to help them find their way to Christ and to help them thrive as a disciple and follower of Christ. Let God straighten all the other stuff out. God doesn't need me to be an ironer that irons out all the wrinkles. God expects me to be an encourager. He'll take care of the wrinkles and all the things that go along with that. I was preaching in revival services one time with the, uh, the, church, the church had hired some, uh, some famous singers. They were professional singers, and I asked the lady of the group to testify, and she was very nervous and, and uh, uh, going through all kinds of stuff, and she started praying and talking about how she was tempted. But here's what she said, I've been tempted to buy and wear one of those sinful gold necklaces. And she boohooed and blubbered and carried on. I looked out at the crowd, and I bet 90% of the women there had a necklace on. I wanted to get up and say the, the, the opinions expressed on this platform do not represent the opinions of the, of, the, of, the, of the speaker. So offensive. I was offended by that, and I didn't even have a gold necklace on. We, we get hooked up on all this kind of stuff. Barnabas simply saw the grace of God in the lives of Gentiles, and he encouraged them to keep on believing God would help us to be more gracious to those around us. I remember the first time I preached at a service where the singer had a male, had an earring in his ear. I'd never seen that before. I thought that was terrible. I couldn't believe anybody would do that. Why would you want to do that? And it wasn't, it was a long time ago, and it wasn't popular, and it wasn't kind of an end thing. And I wrote the pastor a letter when I got home that talking about having someone on the platform with an earring. It was one of the best letters I think I have ever written. Thank the Lord. I didn't send it. I put it in my file, and a few years ago I read it. I was shocked. I was convicted that I thought something so specific was wrong because the guy had an earring on. 
And although it had been years since I had written the letter, I got on my knees and I asked God to forgive me for, for, for kind of buttoning old people that they ought to look like me when, when they don't. And yet God was at work in this guy's life. 25 years later, I shared a platform with him in the same way. He sang the praises of God. He sang the Spirit of God down on the crowd. He was, he was full of the Holy Spirit. And all I saw back there 25 years ago was an earring. Shame on me. Listen, folks, we need to get people to, to, to receive the message of a resurrected Savior who can break the sin and power of sin in their life, who can set them on a path that will lead them to God, and let God worry about all the rest of the stuff. He can do a better job at cleaning people up and straightening them out than we can. <clears throat> we are to be people of great grace. <clears throat> and Barnabas must have embraced the message the good news of Jesus, that he can save and forgive from sin. Barnabas, when he saw the grace of God at work, extended grace to them. And finally, when we're faithful, God blesses a church that lifts up Jesus and holds him as the example. I want to remind you this day that more than 2,000 years since the death on the cross, Jesus is still the answer for the needs of the world today. It is all about Jesus. We need to lift Jesus up. The Bible says if we will lift Jesus up, He will draw all men unto Himself. Sometimes we get so focused on this fad or that fad, and, and we think we ought to do this, and we, <clears throat> we think we ought to sing this way, or we ought to sing that way, or we ought to stand, or we ought to sit, or we ought to sing from a book, or sing from a wall, and we, we get all kinds of stuff twisted around. It's about Jesus, folks. And God help us to stay faithful to Him and to have enough grace about our lives that we realize it's the message of Jesus that matters most of all. I was invited to come and preach at a citywide crusade one time. They forgot to tell me that the first meeting was in a public park. I thought we were having church in church. And I get there with my suit and tie on, and they introduced me to the special singers. And I thought I was in the wrong crowd. They didn't tell me the singers were a hard rock band for Jesus. And these four or five kids didn't look like me at all. And they had on <coughs> pants that were about knee length. And they had more chains on them that probably for sale down at the local Western Auto Store. They had chains hanging from their pockets and, and their billfolds and, and around their belts, uh, where their belts would be, and they, they had all kinds of tattoos, and they had all kinds of things pierced, and they looked at me, and they said these words, y you're, you're the guy that's going to speak to us, and I looked at them and said these words, y you're the guy that's guys are going to sing before, before I speak. I was shocked. They were shocked. They even prayed. We prayed together before the service, and they even prayed, Lord, we don't know what we're doing sharing the platform with a guy like this. I was offended at that, by the way. I wanted to say the same thing to him. I don't know, Lord, I don't know why I'm out here sharing a, a, a platform with guys that look like this. But we began to pray, and I began to sense her heart, and they prayed that God would reach kids, and God would touch them, and God would save them, and they would give their life to Christ. And they began to testify what God had done in their lives and how he had delivered them and transformed their lives and redeemed them. And the Lord taught me a great lesson that day. It's not what's on the outside that counts, folks. It's what's on the inside. And I discovered that they look different from me on the outside, but on the inside, we were brothers in Christ. And God came in that, in that setting in two very diverse uh, uh, venues. We need to remember that it's Jesus that matters most of all. 
what damage Barnabas could have done to the cause of Christ if he would have said to those Gentiles, wait a minute, wait a minute, he's our Christ. He was born into the Jewish world. He, he, he centered around the synagogue. The, the, the Jewish prophecy is the Messiah. It's all about us. What damage Barnabas could have done if he could have said to you guys, stop preaching to these Gentiles. Don't talk to the Gentiles. Don't have anything to do with them. What damage Barnabas could have done to the move of God. But what he didn't do is what's miraculous. Barnabas saw the evidence of God in their lives. And all he could do was encourage him to, to, to keep faithful and to keep believing and to keep trusting because he knew somehow it's not about him, it's not about the Jewish world, it's not about my beliefs, it's about Christ and Him alone. I want to remind you this week as we go out from this place and intersect and interact with people of all walks of life, it's about Jesus. And they need Jesus just like you and I need Jesus. And we ought to be faithful to proclaim the message that it's Jesus that counts. And Jesus that matters. In fact, the Bible says one day, one day, we might as well start practicing now because one day, every person that has ever lived is going to understand that it's about Jesus when every knee bows and every head, every mouth proclaims that Jesus is Lord. He's given, God has given him a name above all names. And one day the world will realize that. I'd like to start practicing now. How about you? And proclaiming Jesus as the answer. They sent Barnabas down to Antioch. They didn't send the big-name guys. They didn't send the leaders of the church. They didn't send the preachers. They didn't send Paul and his rugged, uh, his rugged beliefs. They sent Barnabas. Who in the world is Barnabas? Oh, he's just a good man that is full of the Spirit of God and of faith. And they had enough trust in Barnabas to know that if he saw God working, he would embrace it, even in the midst of the lives of those Gentiles over there. And may we be true and faithful to God in our walk and in our testimony. And may we have a testimony to tell about what Jesus has done in their lives. I want you to remember this week as we go from this place, the power of Christ is still greater than the power of the devil. He, Christ, is able to break the power of sin in our lives and the bondage of sin in our life and the habits that go along with it. He can redeem and save and deliver. Amen. Would you remember that? I want you to remember the grace of God that has come to even us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we are all, while we are all sinful on the inside, he, His grace came to us that said, Larry, you're acceptable and I died for you and received great grace. But one evidence that we received great grace is that we give great grace to those around us. And then I want you to remember this week, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. He is the answer. And we have it. And we ought to be faithful to tell others about Him. If you're glad to be in church today, would you say amen? He is still king. He is still Lord. He still rules and reigns. He's still a coming king. And God is in control of this old world. Don't think for a moment differently. God is in control. And he wants to be everything in our lives. He is our hope for the future and our strength for this day. I'm glad they sent Barnabas. I hope he didn't have an feeling of insignificance. And I hope he helps me not to feel insignificant in the world I live in. Because with God on my side, as I faithfully live for Him, God is at work to accomplish His will. 
praise God for Barnabas and all the Barnabases that are along. Praise God for the Gentile world that received the message of Christ. Because that even includes me. Thank God for what he's doing in our lives. Amen and amen. Let's stand this morning and bow our heads as we pray. Father, we are thankful we can look into the pages of your word and find new truth. Some of us have been in church all of our lives. But Lord, your word is still brand new. And your spirit is still fresh. Help me to live this day with greater confidence that in you I am something. And you're working in my life. Help me to be faithful to tell my story. And whenever I see evidence of your grace in the lives of others, may I encourage it and embrace it. And we ask you to guide us as we endeavor to be your people. And may this be a week of power and influence for those around us because you're working in our lives. We're thankful for your great goodness to us and that you include even us. In your name we pray and ask all of these things. And everybody says, amen.